0: In the New Testament church, there was persecution in Judea, in Galilee, under King Herod. That persecution did not spread across the world in large measure until about 30 years after Jesus was resurrected. A pharaoh came to power. His name was Nero. He was an evil, evil man. He wanted, as the rumor has it, to remake the city of Rome. And so he had it burned. But to scapegoat another group would cause him to not be examined or his insanity looked at. And so he scapegoated the Christians. And he began a systematic purging, destruction, murder, persecution of all Christians. Now, the Apostle Peter was a powerful preacher. He and his wife traveled together and worked together. Peter knew it was coming close to the time of his death. Jesus had prophesied that he would be that he would be martyred. And so Peter decided that he must, under the unction of the Holy Spirit, prepare the people of God, the scattered people of God, scattered by King Herod, scattered by wicked men who turned in persecution against the Christians in Judea and Galilee. It's called the dispersion. Nero's persecution began about AD 63 or 64. Nero died in AD 68. But before he died... He had the Apostle Peter crucified, murdered. These words in First Peter and Second Peter are straight as an arrow, unvarnished, a clear word of encouragement to the saints of God to not compromise with Rome. To not compromise with the world, the flesh or the devil, but to walk clean and straight. Now, we live at a time when there is intense trouble for Christians. We live in a time when the game being played is twisted by the U.S. government. But it's not just the U.S. government. It's the Federal Reserve, as they control the federal government. The president, the legislative branch, the judicial branch, they're all controlled by the central banks. Central banks have taken over America. We see now how the destruction with inflation is causing this to be the most expensive Thanksgiving meal Americans have ever had. As I look at the wickedness of our age, and I look at the apostasy of the church, I look at the compromise with wickedness, with uncleanness, with the world, in the church. I'm heartbroken. There is going to be a biblical meltdown of our stock market. Now, it's going to go higher probably through the end of the year, unless something comes against it and causes it to be utterly broken. The stock market is broken now. Everything is being bought up by the Federal Reserve. They print the money and then they buy up assets. It's make believe money, it's fiat currency. But it's what you and I have to use to go to the grocery store. They don't care that inflation is ravaging the American people, they only care that they are robbing the American people, and destroying the middle class with their financial shenanigans. And so there is going to be a biblical, I mean that in the, the worst sense, a biblical meltdown of our stock market, of our housing market. You're going to see houses plunge in value in america oh yes right now they're on the ascendancy but soon that will reverse in fact in many places it's already reversing you are going to see famine in america you're going to see starvation in our great land you're going to see the persecution of christians in america It is an ugly, demonic, twisted game as the beast power is being brought to life for the Antichrist to rule in these final years before our Lord comes. So for me, it is vital that we turn to the book of Peter and understand clearly his message. It's not an easy message to hear. And it's not an easy message to understand because it will go so against the traditions of the American church. It will go so against how most of us have been raised I urge you, don't simply turn away because you hear things from Peter that sound strange to your ears. Don't jump on the bandwagon and say, oh, that's legalism. As soon as I begin to speak about obedience, many of you say, that's legalism. Well, that's a fantasy. It's not biblical. I want you to listen carefully to the writing of this great apostle of the faith. Now let's begin. Let's pray. Lord, as I come today to give another message of hope and encouragement to your people, I pray that you will come and move in power by your Spirit, Almighty God. Would you deal with the innermost hearts of every man and every woman, every boy and girl who will listen to this message either now on the radio, on the YouTube, or later in podcasts. Lord, would you move in their hearts and bring them into the fullness of your wonderful, wonderful gospel. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I need to say something to you before I start. I need to say unashamedly, I need you. And may I be so bold as to say, you need me. We are the family of Jesus. We are of the redeemed by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been called to be family. Many of you have listened to this message for a number of years. Some of you are just new. I need you to pray for me. I need you to walk in faith with me for this message to go out to America. Now, right now, we're a very small footprint. But by the power of the Spirit, I know this message needs to go to America as a final cry of righteousness and holiness. I need your support. I need your financial support. You also need me. You need me as a brother in Jesus. You need me to come and preach an honest, unvarnished word that is, as I've asked Jesus, make it as pure as it can be made coming from the lips of a man. I want this message to vibrate in your heart as the message of the Holy Spirit for this hour of utter darkness that is coming upon the face of the earth and is filling the church in America. I'm not here for games. I'm, I'm not here for ambition. I don't have something great to do. I simply have the word of God to proclaim to you, and you need to hear that word of God. So don't get mad with me. Don't curse me. Pray for me. Pray that I'll speak an honest, unvarnished word of God that will impact your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit that revival can come. Now, Peter, Peter is a straight shooter. And I confess I have not always been a straight shooter. Many years ago, there was a wonderful pastor by the name of Gordon Cosby. He was the pastor of the Church of the Savior down on Connecticut Avenue. Their headquarters was in a brownstone town building. I often went to their service. I helped them in a number of different ways. I served Thursday evening in one of the mission groups serving tables at their coffee house as a volunteer. I helped them establish a free medical clinic. I taught in their school of Christian living. I knew that church very, very well. And Gordon Cosby and I became friends. I was inspired by his congregation. He had, at one point, at least 35,000 people who were weekly participants in his outreach ministries. I would say probably one of the largest mega churches Washington, D.C. has ever seen. Now, I was, I was young and full of ambition. I marveled at his amazing congregation. But I invited him to come and preach at my church. And because we were friends, he said, yes, he would come. This was close to the end of his ministry. I'd not been in touch with him in terms of attending and seeing the direction he was preaching for some time. So he came and he preached for me one weekend in our worship service. And today I ashamedly tell you I was utterly disgusted and angry at the message he preached in my church. I was on course to build a great church. I wanted to be successful. I was very ambitious. I was an entrepreneur at heart. And he came and preached a message that cut me to the heart and did not bear fruit for a number of years until the Lord had severely disciplined me. He preached a sermon entitled, The Way Up is the Way Down. The Way Up is the Way Down. I didn't want to hear that. I only wanted to go up and to build something, to build a great church. But his message was very clear. If you want to build a great church, become a humble servant of the Most High God. Well, I wasn't humble, and I was interested and ambitious to be somebody in Washington, D.C. I didn't even give my friend an honorarium for coming and speaking for me. And I didn't thank him except politely after the service. But I didn't send a thank you letter, and I didn't contact him again after that. And shortly after that, he became sick, and he died. And my heart was broken. I knew he was right. And it began to percolate in my heart until some years later, having raised up a large congregation, I finally came to the place where I recognized God was not in it. It was all human strength and human spirit and human energy, guerrilla marketing, television and radio. It was entertainment. It was a seeker-sensitive church. And the Lord told me, it's your church, not mine. And if you want me, close the church. And I did and spent the next seven years without any public ministry and without a job. I lost everything in that process. My wife and I lost our retirement. We lost our house. We lost our cars. We lost everything. And for a period of that time, we were homeless and lived with a non-Christian family who so kindly took us in. It was a very, very painful time. But it was during those years of many hours every day of reading the scriptures and praying and waiting on God that finally he spoke and brought me to David Wilkerson from Times Square Church who then he became my spiritual father, my mentor. And of course, David's message at that time was also the way up is the way down. We've got to humble our hearts. And a message of holiness. Now, I share this with you because I know the American church is an entrepreneurial business of entertainment and also sentimentalism and almost totally devoid of Pentecostal holiness. And so let's begin, open your Bible and follow me this week as we look at what Peter had to say to us. I want to read for you first his intro to it, and then we're going to unpack it a bit. He's writing this to God's elect, that is, chosen by God through their submission in holiness to God. I'll show you that in a moment. Strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithuania. These are those who have been scattered by the persecution in Judea and Galilee and now being scattered by Nero. These people, these elect have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. But let me share with you what Peter says, how they were chosen. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. In other words, men and women are brought into the body of Christ, not by a sinner's prayer, but by being made holy, by Hagios by being made holy, by the work of the Holy Spirit in their heart. So entrance into the New Testament church in AD 60. From Peter's perspective, entrance is based on allowing your life to be transformed by the blood of Jesus and you have left your sin and you are now walking holy and righteous and pure before almighty God. The sanctifying work of the spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, sprinkled by his blood, washing away all of our sins. By the work of the Spirit being made holy, being made righteous by faith in the blood of Jesus. If you go back, and I need to just share quickly this perspective as well. This is not a standalone perspective in the scriptures. I know it's not taught in the New Testament, in the church of America today, but it was taught in the New Testament church. If you go to Romans, the first chapter, the apostle Paul, in his intro to the wonderful book of Romans that has been so twisted out of context today in the modern church, Paul says the same thing. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his Son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who the Spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship Why did they receive grace and apostleship? Why did Peter, why did Paul receive grace and apostleship? Paul answers, to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith, and you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Now, let's be clear. The Apostle Paul says later, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why is he not ashamed? Because he's preaching a gospel that calls people to obedience, to leave their sins. Now, this doesn't rest well with the sinning Christians of today, the modern, very well-known preachers who say, No, you, you can't lose your salvation. Once you've been saved, you're saved. They're lying to you. I'm being very straight and honest with you. I don't need to, I don't need to be polite anymore. The truth is not polite to the American apostate church. If you are not brought into the faith of Jesus Christ through the sanctifying, through the made holy, in your sins, if you are not brought into the church in obedience to Jesus Christ, being sprinkled by his blood, you are a part of the apostate church. This is, this is Peter's introduction. Now it's going to get stronger. He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Why do we need grace in abundance? Because grace teaches us how to say no to ungodliness. And the sanctifying work of the Spirit is only by grace. We don't earn it. We submit to Jesus and we walk away from the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we say, okay, I am going to obey the word of God. Now he begins his message in verse 3. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and to an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. He's he's given us an inheritance. But only if we are made holy, and only if we walk in obedience to the commands of Jesus. Jesus. Now, this inheritance is kept for us in heaven where it cannot disintegrate, where it does not drain away. It cannot spoil. It's always blooming. It can never fade. It is kept in heaven. Right now, if you have been born again, if you've been made into a new creature and you no longer walk in known sin and rebellion against the Most High God, if you have been made holy by the presence of the Holy Spirit and you have been washed in the blood of Jesus, you no longer love the world or its entertainment. You don't love the video games. You don't love the movies. You don't love the, the violence. Your heart, is tender with love and mercy and kindness. You're not bitter. You're not angry. You love the Lord Jesus with all of your mind, all of your heart, all of your soul. You love your neighbor as yourself. You walk in love. This this treasure, this inheritance... Is kept in heaven through faith. That is, believing the Word of God that He has done this for us. And we are shielded by the power of God from the devil and from our own hearts until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, until Jesus cracks the sky open and redeems his people. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to have suffered grief in all kinds of trials. suffer grief in trials, parasmus, to come under hearing. Now, I'm going to show you as we study through the book of First Peter, that the gospel comes to us by hearing it and then obeying it. If you refuse to hear the word of God, you cannot be saved. Hear it either with your ears or hear it as you read the scriptures. It's not something that will come naturally to you. It's not something the human heart can conjure up. It is far beyond anything we can even begin to imagine. We all know Entropy is at work in our lives. I notice that in the morning when I shave and I see that my face is growing older. I see my body is beginning to deteriorate. I know I am headed toward either the redemption of my body in the coming of Jesus, or I am heading toward the grave. I have already lived most of my life. Now, I'm excited because the Lord spoke to me as a young child, 9, 10 years old, and showed me what it would be like when I was in the last part of my life and showed me the revival that would take place. And he showed me what my role would be in that. And he said, "Your, your work will not begin until the latter part of your life. He also said to me that I will do more in one day than you could do in your entire lifetime. I'm looking forward to that day. But I have had to suffer all kinds of grief in the loss of, of my wife, Jan, as she died of cancer. I've gone through many trials as friends have cast me aside because they didn't like the message I preached? It says, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So these painful trials that I've gone through, both physically, emotionally, spiritually, They are accomplishing in my life, and I pray they are accomplishing in your life a work of righteousness, of holiness. That you are praising and honoring the name of Jesus, no matter what your circumstances. You are enduring. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Oh, yes. I've not seen Jesus except in vision, and I love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Yes, my whole life connection is to Jesus Christ. I have no life outside of him. All of my life I have given up. My desire for ascendancy, for ambition, for a bucket list. My ambition to be somebody. My bitterness at how I've been treated by some people. Some people have stolen a great deal from me. And I've forgiven them. Because I am filled with inexpressible and glorious joy because I have an inheritance in heaven and I have the mighty power of the Holy Spirit moving in my life, making me holy, preserving me, holding me in his hands, causing me to not walk into darkness, to not walk into sin, restraining, restraining. Any wickedness in my heart. I am receiving the goal of my faith, and that is the salvation of my soul. Why would I not rejoice? I have great expectation for what Jesus has prepared for me in the heaven above, and I will soon see Jesus face to face. I've put away childish ways. I now seek him. I see through a glass darkly right now, but oh, how I love him. Now concerning this salvation, Peter says the prophets in verse 10, this is chapter one, verse 10. The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Jesus, the prophecies of Isaiah, and in the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit who was sent from heaven. Even angels longed and longed today to look into these things. So Peter comes now and he says, okay, do you get it? Prepare your minds for action. Be self controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Do not set your hope on the promotion. Do not set your hope on that new house. Do not set your heart on that new relationship. Do not set your heart on yourself. Set your heart on Jesus Christ. Verse 14. Now please, do not call Peter a legalist. Peter is not teaching, and I'm not teaching, that you earn salvation by hard work. You enter into salvation by submission, by submitting to Jesus Christ and grounding the swords of your rebellion, grounding the swords of your self-will and submitting to the Holy Spirit and allowing him to do this work of redemption in your heart. Now listen, this is not legalism. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Any of you who've listened to this broadcast for any length of time know that you must leave all sin. That you must walk as obedient children with no known rebellion or sin in your heart. Does that mean you won't make mistakes? Does it mean you are not even going to sometimes turn in total rebellion against Jesus and commit wickedness? No, I have. And I've been deeply grieved when I have. And I have earnestly repented and turned to the Lord and said, Lord, Lord Jesus, Discipline me. Cause me to no longer walk in any wickedness before you. Be self-controlled. Take charge. You see, whether you end up in heaven or hell is entirely dependent upon how you respond to the Holy Spirit. And it means we must die. Now, I don't mean in any manner to chastise any of you, but I'm going to be straight up with you. Some of you can only talk about the news, the twisted game, the dishonesty. Some of you can only talk about the president and how bad he is or the vice president. Some of you can only talk about the stock market or the vax or some other thing that is utterly disturbing your heart. May I be straight up with you? Those are all signs of the coming of Jesus. And it's time to fix our eyes on Jesus. So don't call me. Don't send me texts. Don't send me videos telling me how bad everything is. I already know. The Holy Spirit directs me. I know that there is going to be a biblical collapse of our economy. I know there's going to be starvation. So I am preparing to help God's people when the time comes. I'm praying about a refuge that we could flee to when the time comes to leave Washington, D.C., because that time will come. It's not now. But we need property. We need a large amount of property, a retreat setting out in the mountains where we can go, as it says in Isaiah 26, and hide ourselves away while the wrath passes over. But that's not where my primary attention is. I'm grieved when I preach a straight, honest message to God's people. And as soon as the benediction is said, they begin to talk with one another about worldly things. They don't instantly go into prayer with one another. They don't enter into a time of confession of sin. Oh, how I wish God's people would finally get serious about this gospel of Jesus Christ. And stop treating it as something shallow and empty. It is our salvation. It's everything. I don't want to talk about anything but Jesus. I don't want to talk about the twisted game. I don't want to talk about the Federal Reserve. I don't want to talk about Mr. Biden. I don't want to talk about the the wickedness of our age. I want to talk about Jesus, and I want to call you to this obedience that Peter is speaking about. As obedient children, he says in chapter 1, verse 14, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a Father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God. Do you understand? That's a decision to believe. It's a decision not to believe. Who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and hope are in God. Now, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, not now that you have purified yourselves by receiving the imputed grace of Jesus. That's the lie of the modern church. It's not found in the scriptures. There is no place in the scripture where it teaches that Jesus covers you with his righteousness. And when he looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees himself. That's a fable. It's a myth. It's a lie. It's not found anywhere in the scriptures. Now that you have verse 22, purified purified yourself by obeying the truth. You are purified by changing your behavior, by stopping the things of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Of repenting, of turning aside from it. And since you have now sincere love for the brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. That's why I say to you I need you. I need your love. I need your support. I can't do this ministry alone. I praise God for this, dear sister. She sent me this card from Delaware to Pastor Ray Greenley, National Prayer Chapel, with a beautiful card of encouragement, included a $100 bill for the work of the gospel. I praise God for that kind of love. I need your love. I need your support. I can't do this alone. And you need the straight word of God to encourage you because you're not going to get it in most churches in America. You're going to get a watered down, feel good, seeker sensitive message with entertainment and jokes and laughter, little skits, concerts. You're not going to get the straight word of God. So I need you and you need me. He says here, love one another deeply from the heart. I want to tell you, I love you and I pray for you. I wish I could meet every one of you. I pray for the day when I can, when you come to D.C. because there's a great revival. I want you to come to me and say, I heard I heard you on the radio. Tell me your name, and I'll know if you've been one of those faithful people giving for this ministry. It says in verse 23, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of God stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. The word of love your brother. To be sincere. You know what the word sincere means. I've shared this before, but I'll briefly tell you again. When someone in the biblical day would go to the potter to buy a new pot. They would ask, is this a sincere pot? And by that they meant, when I put water in this pot or I put stew in this pot and I put it on the fire, is it going to leak? When you made the pot, was there a crack in it that you filled in with wax so I would not be able to know that it was an insincere pot? And Peter is saying, look, love each other with a sincere love, not with a crack, not where it leaks out of your life. I want you to be so filled with the Holy Spirit and so filled with his righteousness from Jesus. I want you to be so empowered by the gospel of Jesus Christ that you have abounding joy in your heart, no matter what you have to go through. He says, all men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. Today, those pagan people may look really good to you as they drive their BMWs and their Mercedes and their Lexus and all the wonderful lifestyle they have. It may look very appealing to you, but the pagans are going to fade like the flowers of the field, and they're going to die You and I are not going to fade like the flowers of the field. We may die, but we will live forever. We will live with Jesus in glory. Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast. I want to thank each one of you who has demonstrated your love for me. And I demonstrate my love for you by coming and not lying to you, but giving you a straight, honest word. Write to me at National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That address again, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia two two one nine five. Go to our webpage, NationalPrayerchapel.com. NationalPrayerchapel dot com. And there you'll find this video and many others. You'll find podcasts to listen to. You'll find many resources. Our dear brother Ed Pugh has done an awesome job on that webpage. Go check it out. And also would you please subscribe to the channel? And click a, a like. Thank you. God bless you, my brother and sister. We'll continue the study of the book of Peter tomorrow. Chapter 2. Read it ahead of time. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you. I love you.